Hey, welcome to Recharting Your Life with Hope. I'm Hope Cook, creator and host. If you feel stuck, restless, overwhelmed, or dissatisfied with your current life, despite your life looking pretty good on paper, or at least on social media, I can totally relate. Together, we'll figure out how to take the next right step. I'll interview women who are a little farther along on the path and get tips and ideas from them. I definitely don't have it figured out, so I'll share the ups and downs of my own journey with you. Let's get started because life is too short to waste in autopilot. If you want to be the best possible version of you, you're in the right place. y'all. I'm excited about today's guest. Her name is Deborah Lynn Alt, and she is in Connecticut. So welcome, Deborah Lynn. I heard about Deborah Lynn from a mutual friend. And when I looked at Deborah Lynn's website, I was like blown away by everything she's doing. And I told her she must be <laughs> passionate about a lot of things because she is a shaman. She's a songstress. I love the way that sounds. A songwriter and a singer. She runs a nonprofit or she's the president of the nonprofit. Um, you've produced three CDs, right? Yes. And you've written a book. Mm -hmm. So you've done a ton. I can't wait to hear how this all sort of unfolded over the years. Because I'm thinking when you were back in your 20s or 30s, you probably had no idea you were going to be doing this many things and you know it's it's interesting you would say that because you know when you get to this point in your life I'm 65 now I look back often because I'm working on a book I'm actually writing a memoir and a lot of stories from the past are starting to come up and I realize how limited our vision can be when we're younger I mean yeah. some of us are born I, early bloomers, I wasn't one of them. I just had to kick and scream my way up and become more conscious and aware. And I had to work really hard to get in touch with who I really was and who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. It just wasn't easy for me. So I think in some ways it makes the journey more valuable because mm -hmm. ultimately I think the greatest wisdom comes from our, our struggles and our efforts and our uh, liabilities. Yeah. So I'm guessing you didn't grow up with a mother who was a songwriter and nope. and a, a father who was a shaman. and <laughs> No, no, no. In fact, there was a lot of resistance to me being creative. I had the impulse, but I grew up in the 50s at a time when um, there was so much unrest in you know, 50s and 60s. So my parents were very much in the old world at the time. I mean, it changed a little bit as they got older, but I did not get support for music. The, um, the beginning of my story was actually uh, not something that continued. I was 10 years old when I was in elementary school and we were given a choice of, this is one of my favorite early stories, of <laughs> playing the recorder or, or the guitar. Uh huh. And at the time I thought, oh wow, the guitar, it sounds so cool. I was 10. So yeah. I begged my parents for the $10 that it would cost to get the guitar. Uh -huh. The recorder was free, so that was, <laughs> oh, you can play the recorder. No, 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 but I really want to, and you know, at 10, I was the oldest of four, 
and they were struggling and you know there's just no way they could justify that mm -hmm. I was relentless and um, I eventually won and it was like you better practice this thing and I did and I just I just wanted so badly to be I heard on the radio at the time all the folk music that was coming out I wanted to do that uh -huh. so I, I quickly learned how to do it and um, you know I've been playing it ever since and when did you start writing your own music? Well, I started that kind of young also, although I don't think of those as very uh, developed songs, but I was very driven to capture uh, my inspirations. When I was in college, I think I wrote my first song. No, that's not true, actually. I, I, wrote, I wrote songs when I was younger um, about various things, and um, but the one I remember the most was my first um, piece protest my war protest song called peace and liberty yeah and uh because i was i was growing in that era of the vietnam war and um all the hippies that were peace love and um i i just decided to write my own anthems called um yeah peace and liberty so it was sort of a, a mocking of what we were supposed to be and then um when i was in my 30s um i realized that my music was on hold and well I should just back up and say the other interesting segue to my growth as a songwriter which was yeah not handed to me <laughs> um I uh, when I was 20 I remember or 21 I had the idea that wait a minute all these great singer songwriters they play guitar and piano what's uh -huh. the connection yeah and I you know and I was just I just wanted to be one of those people that could sit down at a piano and play and um, so I, on a whim, got an old piano. I remember it was cost $40. It's funny how wow. stay with you. And it needed new key tops. Uh -huh. So I figured out how to cover the keys. And I sat down one night and learned how to apply what I was doing on the guitar, which was basically just strumming rhythm on the piano. And in one night, I was, oh, my God, I'm playing the piano. That's and crazy. You just sat down and sort of, and I don't, I'm not musically inclined at all, but I do think that's unusual that you were able to just transition from one instrument to the other. Well, I mean, in some senses, it, it, it probably sounds unusual. My guess is, is, you know, because I know so many musicians now that it's maybe not that unusual. Okay. However, for me, it was life-changing. Mm -hmm. I just was so thrilled that I could do that. And I think it spoke to my my deep drive that I've learned to um, harness and, and rein and uh, direct in so many ways over the years. But I re it really mattered to me a lot. And then the, the writing itself, uh, I would say it was maybe 10 years after that. It was in my 30s. Well, maybe it was even more than that. No, it was more like in my 40s when I started getting serious about it. I would write songs from time to time. And uh, I had opportunities that I wasn't quite ready for. I was working at Rolling Stone magazine, which is another funny story, back when they had come in from San Francisco <clears throat> and had an office in, on Fifth Avenue in New York, and I was an editorial assistant. Wow. We were typing on IBM Selection. <laughs> no kidding, where you would backspace to erase and retype the whole thing. I mean, crazy, right? Yeah. Um, and it was a wonderful, exciting job. And then I was invited to a, an editorial conference and I, one of the editors who liked me asked me to sing along with the other editorial p 
people that, uh, and I was just a lowly editorial assistant. Uh-huh. Um, but I got up and sang at two o'clock in the morning at this conference. Wow. And I just belted out a song. Yeah. And Jan Wenner, the editor at the time, said, who is that girl? And they were saying, she works for you, Jan. <laughs> and so Monday morning came around and he came around to my little cubicle and he wanted to put a band together around me. But I was only 24, I think. Wow. 23. And I really did not have my act together. But I went in and, and it turned out to be a fun thing. We sang at the Christmas party and some pretty famous people came and it was a wonderful experience. And I got written up and I met some amazing artists, but I wish I had had my proverbial act together. I was just, mm-hmm. you know, I read these, you know, I read about Taylor Swift and all these young artists, Billy Eilish. And I think, Oh my God, they must've had what I didn't, what I wanted to have. That right. The, the structure, the support, whatever it took to be mm-hmm. able to pull it together. I just didn't have that. So mine became, a later in life endeavor. Yeah. And you've used your work though, your writing and your, your songwriting to impact so many different groups. You write, you write songs for these organizations that, and it, it, I I think it has deep meaning, right? Well, yeah, I think that's one of the things that comes from coming into your own as you get older. I think certainly there's a pleasure and I have written songs about my experiences or my relationships um, my daughter and and there's a wonderful feeling of fulfillment in doing that. However, I think that writing for purpose beyond that mm-hmm. and to be able to impact organizations um, is fulfilling in a whole different way that I probably could never conceived of. As you were saying before, when you started the interview, when I was 20, would I ever imagine? No, I couldn't have even conceptualized that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now I can't imagine having done it any other way. I mean, the best example is when you mentioned the nonprofit, it's a beautiful, beautiful example of following through and how things unfold. This one was one of the songs that was inspired by a friend who is a cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. She asked me if I would write a song for cancer survivors as, you know, to be their voice. So I, got together with a group of her fellow survivors mm-hmm. and interviewed them and wrote a song based on their experiences. And I called it Each Moment We're Alive. Oh. And um, I thought a song of gratitude and um, really acknowledging the preciousness of being alive was something that we all feel and, mm-hmm. and do well to be reminded of. However, I think it takes on a special passion for mm-hmm. someone who's been through cancer. And I had lost my dad less than a year before she asked yeah, me. So yeah. it had real poignancy for me. And I wrote it and put a band together at the time and performed it at different Relay for Life's events. And then when my friend's cancer metastasized and I knew that she mm. was not going to be around mm-hmm. that much longer, uh, and I knew she wanted to leave a legacy and she was an award-winning photographer. So that was the seed of the book. Uh, so I decided to help her leave a legacy and it became a real project of love. I wrote um, and published this book of her ph- photography illustrated by the lyrics of the song. Gosh, and that's beautiful. It was just, it's just been a wonderful gift and, and fundraiser. And, um, but the beautiful piece of it is that it was discovered by a woman who was also a cancer survivor mm-hmm. looking for a song online for her video. Oh, wow. She found me, we connected, and this was 
about six years ago. We mm-hmm. had become very good friends, and she's the one that took the ball. And we together we did workshops, healing workshops, working with um, cancer patients. And she created a nonprofit about almost two years ago. Each moment we're alive, Incorporated. And now she's really expanding and helping people all over the country, supporting. She focuses on women survivors. But it's amazing how things like that just happen. You know, it seems like a coincidence, but then, you know, it's not. It definitely feels like that was meant to be. I mean, the feeling it is, you talk about fulfillment, to know that the seed of my creation, of my inspiration, is now helping all these women. I, I get chills every time I think about Mm -hmm. it like that, you know, it's, so that's a very exciting thing. And I like that you say your genre is songs for calls and just because. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah, that was actually coined by uh, by someone that, um, yeah, I thought it was clever. Yeah. I'm always reinventing myself. I I forgot about that. Yeah, that's still there. (laughs) And, you know, I I can't help but think when you were working at Rolling Stones and they ask you about being in a, you know, becoming a singer and being in a band you I don't know that that we're ready at that stage but later I wrote down that you said you use your you felt urgency to use your emotions for some greater good Mm. and you know our our egos rule us when we're in our 20s and even 30s and I don't know that I would be able to do something like that for the greater good. I would have done it for the greater me. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's just natural evolution, I think, when we're in our 20s. You know, we're figuring it out. We're learning how to get by in the world. I mean, you know, and I, I, I see myself as relatively immature for in my 20s back then. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I guess it's all, it's all, of course, relative. But, um, yeah, that's a perspective that I think we get when we get older, for the most part, there are mm-hmm. exceptions, of course. You know. And so your background was in writing, like that's where, you know, you, that, that was your career, right? Working as an editor and writer? Well, actually, that was one of my first jobs to be an editorial assistant. And I really thought that I was going to go down that route because I really loved to write. I always did. And um, then about two years into the job, I realized that um, I didn't like so much what I was seeing because to me at the time, it seemed that, uh, I hadn't thought about this in a while, but the editors were very negative in their critiques of albums and mm-hmm. concerts. Not always, but so much so that it really struck me that there was an edge to it. And I thought, no, I don't really. So I was more drawn to, I was following my heart and um, I decided to try music. And then I really became a club date singer is what they used to call it. I don't mm-hmm. know what they call it anymore. And um, I would sing at weddings because my mother gave me very good advice when I was younger. Learn the standards. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to want to hear the songs you wrote. And I thought, <laughs> you know, but she was right. She also taught me to take a typing class when I was typing and stenography when I was in high school. And that was also really good advice. Yeah, that comes in so handy. To your mother. <laughs> yep. So, of course, my daughter doesn't listen to me, but that's another story. So um, I ended up um, I ended up working on um, so many different things. And I was just so, um, you know, it just kept on growing. You know, it really did. How did you listen to your heart? How did you not say, you know what, I need a steady job. I need health insurance. Like, how did you follow this passion and, and listen? 
That's a great question. Um, I think that that's the piece where you had talked about bravery and courage. Mm -hmm. And I think at that stage of my life, I wasn't conscious of the fact that I was being brave or courageous. I'd like to think of it at the time that I was blessed with an inner drive and inner passion that I couldn't ignore. It was very, very strong. And, um, it, you know, it led me through all the stages. However, I think as we get older, at least I I guess I have to speak for myself and it, you know, it very often the personal becomes universal, but for me, as I got older and, um, my learning point or my point of conflict for me was relationship. And I could go into all the reasons Mm -hmm. why, and I do get into that, um, literally in my book, but, um, suffice it to say that I think our backgrounds and our emotional growth and the support or lack of, or degrees of subtle abuse that impact us really affected me in terms of my choice of relationship. I was such a diehard romantic, mm-hmm. and, um, but I wasn't ready. And I mean, in fact, I, I, I had a marriage right out of college that was purely out of fear. I was really afraid that my father would, um, I don't know what. I was really afraid of him, actually. Yeah. So um, now I look back and I see. And then I was married two times after that. Mm-hmm. Um, each time for reasons that, um, you know, I understand now. Yeah. But it seemed, but they were incredible lessons. And for me, that was a point of spiritual growth and stretching because I realized that, wait a minute, this security that I thought that I wanted. I wasn't ready to be in it and I needed to grow. I mean, the force of growth was, I liken it to um, a stem coming up from the earth in the spring. It's Mm -hmm. just a natural urge to grow and evolve. I believe that very strongly. And um, when I got divorced last, that was a point of conflict that really, really was made. The decision was made out of deep courage because I was, I mean, here I was, I had, we were together for 10 years. We had buried all four of our parents. It was a Mm -hmm. very involved life. We had a gorgeous home and everything was secure. We were already talking about retirement, but my growing awareness that I was not being supported in the way that I needed to, I wasn't being cherished. I wasn't, Mm -hmm. I mean, there were, again, I had reenacted that subtle abuse Mm-hmm. And um, boy, coming to terms with that and having the courage to say this is not okay. Yeah. When everything on the surface really was okay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's, that's a lot of strength. I was just talking to a friend this morning who just finalized her divorce and she said, I want to be in a another marriage so bad, but I know I, I, I'm repeating the past. And um, yeah, we just talked about how you look for those, you, you do those same patterns over and over and it does take courage to step out of that. And it sounds like you had the courage in your creative life and in your career to follow those urges and those pulls, but in your relationships, it took a while. It took a few, a few times of repeating the same lesson. I, I like to say they were relationships were my Achilles heel. Yeah. And um, I'm now at a point where I, you know, I've discovered that there really is enough. And I could never have said this. I mean, I'm 65 now. I could never have said this at 25 or yeah. 35 or mm-hmm. even 45, you know, that it's not 
the most important thing in the world um, mm-hmm. to me. I mean, would I still love to connect with someone on that soul romantic level? Absolutely. And I never close the door to anything. However, what I'm finding is that I have learned to, um, to value growth and expansion and what it means to be, to live a spiritual life, what it means to tap into the creative, the divine and the creative to, um, to make a difference, to impact people, to be a light in this world. Um, you know, it's, it, it becomes really important. I mean, I can't even look, I've had some beautiful, wonderful moments in my life. I've had lots of relationships and, you know, becoming a mother is a whole other adventure. However, there's nothing quite as astoundingly magnificent as writing a song and singing a song for someone that changes their life. Yeah. For me, that, and I can tell you so many stories about that. I mean, so many. And it's just, it's hard to find the word for me. <laughs> it's hard to find the words. Yeah. How good that feels. I mean, I've, this is my, I'll show you my piano here. I've got my baby grand over oh, here. Oh, beautiful. And when I, and that also has a magical story to it. When I sat down the first time I moved here, I've been in this house um, over three years now. And it was um, really placed in my path after I left my husband in this real comfort. I was really afraid. Mm-hmm. I was in a lot of pain. I don't know where, I don't know. I knew I had to leave, but I didn't know where to go or what to do. And I found this place, and it turns out it's an artist's retreat, really. Oh, wow. And um, I sat down at the piano to write a song that I had told a friend I would write who had a, a daughter who was um, who died at 16 from uh. a birth defect that could have been avoided. Wow. So she became all about uh, educating people yeah. on how it could be avoided. And I was always drawn to people who had a difficult time in their lives and then took that that struggle and that pain and tried to help others I was always drawn to that I wrote I mean that was the origin of my song for Mothers Against Drunk Driving it was that mm-hmm. spirit. and I sat down to write this song for her and I don't even know I didn't know how I was going to start because how do you even begin to write a song like that I mean about telling people how this could have been prevented and yeah how do you well I have to tell you that it comes from from me a place of deep purpose and love and intention. Mm-hmm. And when I, I feel like I've been blessed, I sat down at the piano and, and then the muse kind of came on my shoulder and said, yeah, we like it here. We're going to help you. with that. <laughs> But Deborah, when did you start listening to that? I feel like we all sort of hear whispers, but it's so hard to listen. Have you always been sort of intuitive and been able to discern when you hear that voice? No, uh-uh. That I don't, I definitely didn't have that when, although I think it shows up in different forms when we're younger. Like, for example, I remember when I began my nutritional and health journey inquiry, which I think is a lifelong exploration. um, I was in my 20s and what got my attention was my stomach was, I was having problems with digestion. And I think I was diagnosed with a, a slight ulcer. And that got my attention. Yeah, and, your body uh, was talking to yeah, you. Yeah, so that was my my intuition speaking through my body, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then that started me on a whole journey. Um, and then I think that 
as I got older, I learned and, and read and meditated. And I think the more we cultivate stillness and slowing down, the more we learn to hear our intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I don't think it's ever, I mean, it doesn't mean that someone in their 20s now could not develop that. It just depends on whether they're interested or inclined or, or drawn to that. And you have to get quiet, right? <laughs> do you meditate or? Oh, I do. Yeah. It's a, yeah. a very important part of my life. Yeah. I mean, stillness is, you know, that's where all the magic and wisdom comes from, I believe. Oh, I'll, I'm going to repeat that. The stillness is where all the magic comes from. Yeah. The magic and the knowledge and the, the wisdom. Mm-hmm. The wisdom. I mean, to really, really be still enough to hear your heart, to feel it, to feel your heartbeat, to, to know that, um, you know, that philosophical uh, knowing that all we have is now, is this moment. And it doesn't, it couldn't be any more poignant as to when we really are still. Mm-hmm. And uh, it sometimes it takes discipline because it's so easy to just kept, keep going. But I really feel that, um, you know, it's a great question how, and I, I'm, I'm inclined and I'm, I'm reaching for the ways to help answer other aspects of it because I think it would really be helpful to people listening mm-hmm. to, to know how <clears throat> to learn to listen to their intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first lesson is it's, there's our messages from our bodies, no question in my mm-hmm. mind. And what I learned as a, uh, in my shamanic training is that, which also came from after my divorce, um, I started opening up to new fields of, of healing and learning. But I think that one of the primary lessons on that path is that our body is actually holds our spirits our, and that there is this complex relationship between our bodies and our spirits and our minds and our hearts that <clears throat> the more we can tune into, the more more wisdom we can hear and our, mm-hmm. you know you think about the expressions like i i felt it in my gut you know mm-hmm. physically a visceral yeah. sensation in your gut or a headache maybe because you're thinking too hard about something yeah and i personally believe that it also applies to all forms of disease mm-hmm. and you know you have to be careful when you talk about those things because it can be misinterpreted as um saying that, well, you know, it's your fault that you right. have this disease. It's not yeah. that. It's about if you choose to learn to listen to your body and what it's telling you. I've started and, asking patients, what do you think it is that your body is trying to tell you? And a lot of them are so caught off guard that they say the first thing that comes into their head, and it's <laughs> it's pretty accurate. Uh-huh. Because that's your intuition. See, mm-hmm. there's another place where your intuition shows up. It's the first thing often that comes to you, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, you know, again, the gateless, the community that I, where I met Fernando, it's this impulsive, the first thing that comes to you. In fact, they encourage a lot of writing groups like gateless encourage you to write, just write whatever comes to you, just flow mm-hmm. of consciousness. That's often the real meat of it. You go back later and edit and form it and, and make it commercial, but your intuition is really where the richness comes. The first thing that you think of, the first thing that comes to you. you know, yeah. What, what what really gets you excited? What you know? What lights you up? And I I read that you were reading through the Kripalu. Is, am I saying it right? Kripalu. Yeah, that's right. The the book, and that's a retreat center in um, is it Massachusetts? Lenox, Massachusetts. Yeah, I've never been, but I, I get the catalog, and I 
<laughs> I drool over it. I highly recommend it. But you were looking through that and the the thing that caught your eye was the shamanic um, healing course, right? Yes, yes, yes. That was, um, at the time, that was actually because a friend of mine who lives um, in Binghamton, New York, so we figured we wanted to get together one weekend mm-hmm. and we calculated that Lennox was practically in the middle of where we both lived. So it was, and I'd been to Kapalu many times for, sometimes I would go and pick a course and other times I would go for the course. Mm -hmm. In this case, I was going to meet her and I picked a course. So um, I was looking through and there's always so many to choose from. And then when I saw Alberto Vialdo's course, I think it was Shamanic Ecstasy, which is a very provocative title. It is. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's fascinating. And I've always wanted to learn about it. And it drew, I was drawn to it because I associate shamanism with Native American tradition uh-huh. um, and healing and the earth and all those things that spoke to me at this yeah. stage of my life. So I, I went and um, wow, it really, it really lit a fire. <laughs> yeah, it really did. And then eight months later or so, or yeah, maybe seven months later, I was on a a, tr- a plane to Chile. Yeah. So like a 30 day month long course, a deep dive immersion course to be certified as a, a luminous energy light body healer, I think was the title on the certificate. Although I like to call myself as a shamanic healing arts practitioner because I love that it brings in everything. Yeah. And when you were down there taking the classes where you just lit up, did you feel like I am exactly where I'm supposed to be right now? Or did you have self-doubt you had to deal with? Like, what am I doing here? I'm so glad you asked that question, (laughs) because that's exactly what my book is about. (laughs) Good. Tell me more. Yeah. So my book is, is telling the story as if I am present and it starts, at least the current way it's starting is on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> about what I feel like. And, and, oh, I, I, I'm glad I, you know, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm sorry I took the window seat or whatever. I'm yeah. going through so people can relate to where I am. And I flash back to all the stories that led me to take this. And what, um, what comes out and what I see is coming out is that incredible blend of self doubt. And I am exactly where I need to be. Mm-hmm. This is it. Incredible. And that was a big part of my experience. I'd love to tell you, oh yeah, I was lit up for 30 days. <laughs> but the reality is I had an infection in my eye and it was cold and I didn't learn how to use the propane heater. That's and, funny. You know, and then I was, you know, feeling like I was one of the oldest ones there and, you know, was yeah. I cool enough? I mean, all those human things come in and that's why I decided to write the book and use that as the, uh, the, core of the story my experience of this course and Mm -hmm. what I'm finding uh as I'm writing it is that it's a great story because it's real and I'm honest and I don't have any ego in it yeah you know it's universal too whether you're in medical school or physical therapy school you all always have the same the doubt and the excitement and exactly and and how and I think the pervading message that I, one of the pervading messages that will come through is that having an adventure in life just to grow and learn and to go to your next level is the most wonderful thing you can do. It is. And, you know, and now, I mean, it's been, um, I took it in November of 18, so it's over two years now. And 
and really the learning comes after you take the course. Of course, I didn't realize that at the time. Um, but boy, the seeds that were planted and the things that I've learned about healing and magic and consciousness and shamanism, it, it's just incredible. So I thought it would make a great book. And I've always I think wanted so, to write a memoir. So the working title is Stumbling into Shamanism. I love that. kind of implies that, you know, I am a human being who stumbled into this thing that a lot yeah. of people don't even know what it is. And they assume it's something awful. In fact, I was really upset when, uh, did you catch that thing in the news when from the January 6th insurrection, there was one guy there who had those really bizarre horns. Uh-uh. Was he a shaman? <laughs> yeah, they called him a shaman. I thought, oh, no, no. Oh, he was just a lunatic with horns on his head. <laughs> exactly. But he called himself Shaman Q or something. I forgot. But I was just, oh, God, no. <laughs> but, you know, but unfortunately, that's just when it comes to things that are mysterious and mystical and magical, um, people, re you know, misinterpret it. Very yeah. Yeah. What do you, what would you say to people who are thinking, I would love to have an adventure in my life and like open up possibility of all this, but I have, you know, three kids and a job and, uh, you know, how do, how do they have an adventure when life is so demanding sometimes? That's a great question. And it's, it's one that I come up with a lot because I feel that I came from a place of privilege in that I, I always seem to be able to make it work. And when I was younger, I had some help from my parents, but not a lot. Um, but I think that people who are really stuck, it takes such a degree of faith that, and I believe one thing I learned partly in the shamanic course is that our souls yearn to take epic journeys. I believe that our souls yearn to evolve and grow and that if in fact it comes from a pure place of desire and for the highest good of you and everyone else, I believe the universe conspires to support you in that. Oh, so yes. You can, I've got a friend um, who wants to leave her husband but doesn't see how she can financially. And I'm not in a position to say, oh, no, just jump off and leap and it'll all work out. Even though in my heart of hearts, that's what I did. Yeah. I was privileged because my husband had some money and I had saved some money. And so, so I don't feel comfortable saying, Oh no, just leap it. It'll be fine. Uh -huh. had some of those advantages. However, I do believe, and I've experienced and I've seen it in many, 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 many people that when you do take that leap of faith, that the universe conspires to support you and finds a way but taking that leap of faith, you've just got to be willing to do some free falling. And yeah. I, I had to feel into it. I, I remember well, I don't know if my example is, is the best, but what comes to me is when I first took the leap and I, oh my God, what do I do? Where do I go? Yeah. And I just drove around trying to figure out where, I, and I would cry because I didn't, I mean, I don't really want to be alone. I don't really know right. about my life, but I just, you know, put one foot in front of the other and felt into what I felt. And I do believe that, um, that, I can't help but not believe that it's it's the only way to go. I had so many signs along the way, magical elements that, I mean, the fact that I would find a house on a lake that I could afford and I could swim in. That used so, to be an art, did you say it used to be an artist retreat? Well, it is an artist it retreat. It is, yeah. Oh, shit, look at this. 
See, I, I'm on, I'm literally on. Oh, the wow. My piano. Is- Your view is amazing. And she's got this gorgeous white baby grand piano. Yeah. And that was my dream. In fact, I, I'll tell you something else that when I used to do um, meditations and um, in different venues of trying to visualize what my future would be, I always saw a white baby grand. Piano. I love it. Yes. And so when it came time to move, I had an upright, a black upright, from uh-huh. years, like 35 years old. It was a great piano. Perfectly good, but not what you were visualizing. <laughs> and then, and this is a true story. I hooked up with somebody who sold pianos and, and I'm, you know, he showed me what he had in his studio because I wanted to trade it in for a baby grand. And, and then as, as I'm walking away, I thought, wait a minute. Do you ever see white baby grands? And he said, "Oh, they're very rare." Around <laughs> once in a while, he said. However, I have a client who has one. It's it's old. It's used. Yeah. And um and it's off white. Would you be interested? I said, "Yeah." Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I walked in and saw that baby, and I thought like I was walking into my dream. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it was just incredible. I think it's so important to visualize, even though, I mean, it, it may seem silly to visualize a white baby grand piano, just it's part of your, your vision and it can become your reality. In that vision was not only me at a white, a baby grand piano, but it was also me speaking, me teaching, uh, singing, writing. So I knew that it was all, they were all pieces of my vision and right. the white baby grand just happened to be you know, part of it. It was right. just my personal because it's okay. Like people say when they talk about the law of attraction, it's okay if you want to attract a red car. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. You know, as long as it's part of it comes from your heart and it's part of your joy and that part of the joy you want to share and give back to the world. I believe that's how the universal laws work. And you use that piano to write beautiful music to help give meaning to people's stories. Exactly. And I just, I just had a, um, I officiate weddings now too. I saw that. She's also a justice of the peace, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I am is because I really needed to find another source of income. And that's uh, hilarious. And I, I love thought, it. Wait a minute. I could, I could marry people. I love And saying, right. Do you sing at the weddings? Yeah, in fact, that's what gives me a little edge up to the other officiates because I, can't, I, I call the company Love, Light, and Music. So I offer a traditional wedding or, you know, a non-traditional, whatever they want. They want shamanic. They want Jewish. They that's want perfect. Catholic. I can do anything. And I offer a song. So just the other morning, I, I married a couple here and, and they picked me because they like the idea of having a song and I sang a song for them. It was wonderful. I love it. So it's all full circle, everything, all the pieces are kind of fitting together. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. That was something that someone said to me that I wrote about in my book that when I was questioning whether I should take the shamanic course, well, I think that the, the dot, it's going to connect all the dots in your life. And I love that. Yeah. Feels like it did. Because at first glance, when I saw your website, I thought, okay, Justice of the Peace, she writes songs, she's a shamanic healer. And I was thinking, I get, you know, I don't know how they all fit together, but now I see it. That's great. That's great. Yeah, just the way my my life evolved. Yeah. 
So I always ask this question, do you have any advice for your younger self? Maybe the self, you know, it could even be when you were feeling stuck in your marriage or when you were thinking like, what am I going to do with my life? I would say to my younger self, um, don't forget to step back and learn to be a witness. Watch yourself. Watch what you're doing. Watch what your choices are. And don't jump in. Take time to discern what your choices are. If, and if they're not the ideal choices, then you'll deal with the consequences. But I feel like I made a lot of choices that I wish had gone otherwise, although I do subscribe to the belief that there's a divine order, so I don't live in regret. But if I, but for the sake of, of answering your question, honestly, I would say step back and be more um, conscious of the choices. Don't be as impulsive, because I am impulsive, and it serves me sometimes, mm -hmm. but there are times it doesn't, Yeah, or it hasn't, I should say. No, that's good advice. That's that's perfect for me too. <laughs> so oh, thank good. you. So where can our listeners find you? What's the name of your website? It's Debrasong, D-E-B-R-A-S-O-N-G.com. And can they purchase, is your book for pre-sale yet or? Oh yeah. No, the book has been out for a while. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And I, I give proceeds to uh, cancer organizations and, um, and my CDs are on, for sale on my website. That's the best place to go. What about your shamanic book you mentioned? Is that coming out in oh, the next year, you think? I I would like, uh, yes, I'm going to say that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got a lot of support behind me because I don't know if you're familiar with Wayne Dyer, but. Yes. Oh, are you? Um, so he heard me sing. Well, this is my other song, Each Moment We're Alive. He heard me, he asked me to sing it at a, a writer's conference. A awesome. Conference. And um he asked me to sing it in front of 500 people spontaneously. Wow. And he was in tears. He was so moved. So he actually um, gave me a quote for my book. This was about a year ago. Oh, I love that. And um, so I feel like I have his blessings behind me. And the guy, um, the doctor who runs the Four Winds, where I took the shamanic course from, uh, also said he would give me some um, a blurb, as well as Joan Borisenko. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Uh -uh. She's a powerful force in the mind-body movement, a beautiful being. So she says she would write something. So, and plus the other cool thing is that I'm writing a song about shamanism that I will release the same time as the book. That's so I perfect. Like I'm doing everything I can within reason to really usher the book out there because I, I just, it feels good to be able to reach as many people as possible. Yeah. And we need more healers in this world. Absolutely. Yeah, that was the message that I heard from the Kripalu course. Yeah. That, and that was, and this is worth noting, and it, and I, I'm sure we're running out of time, but this is worth noting that when, what compelled me to take the course was this video that he showed, and it was a group of Peruvian shamans sitting around on a mountaintop praying for the earth, praying for the healing of the earth and humanity. And essentially what Alberto Bialdo did was he condensed this shamanic course so it could be available for more people who are feeling called to healing yeah and i was so moved by that idea that just by having that impulse i could also be one of those people that could impact the healing of the earth mm -hmm. by raising vibration by bringing in healing by honoring the earth and it's all connected yeah and you have a beautiful spirit i can see that you're a healer 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking time on this Sunday to share your story with me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks. And for encouraging our listeners. They need to hear it. Well, I, I really hope people do. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Thanks again. Oh, my pleasure. That was so good, Deborah. Thank you. Now we're going to have some take-home points from this interview. Number one, our greatest wisdom comes from our struggles. Hardships can be a point of spiritual growth. Number two, the seed of your inspiration may end up helping people beyond your wildest expectations, like Deborah's song for breast cancer survivors. Our own visions can be limited. We don't always see what we're capable of. Number three, Courage can look a lot of different ways. Deborah tells us how she had courage to follow her intuition and pursue her passions, but it took a lot longer to find the courage to listen to her inner self when it came to relationships. Number four, look how you can grow, expand, and impact people. Your purpose on earth is to be a light to others. This trumps all other earthly accomplishments. When Deborah discovered her talent of writing songs for social issues and causes, she describes this as feeling astoundingly magnificent. Number five, cultivate stillness. This helps us listen to our intuition. All the magic and knowledge and wisdom comes from stillness. Number six, listen to the messages from your body. Your body holds your spirit. So the more you can tune into your body's messages, the more you will hear the wisdom that it has to offer. Remember, listening to your body is a choice. So make the choice to listen. Number seven, intuition often appears as the first thing that pops into your head when you hear a question. It's where the richness is. So pay attention. Number nine, it's normal to have self-doubt blended in with knowing you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Number 10, having an adventure in life to grow and learn and move to the next level is the most wonderful thing you can do. Like when Deborah decided to go to Chile and learn or take a shamanism course. Number 11, our souls yearn to evolve and grow and take these grand adventures. If the desire is there, the universe will conspire to help you. Number 12, Deborah says to put one foot in front of the other and look for signs along the way. Number 13, learn to be a witness. Watch yourself. Take the time to discern your choices. And lastly, visualize the future you want down to the last detail. Like Deborah visualizing that white baby grand piano. Now it's in her house and she's creating amazing songs for worthy causes. Thanks again for joining us today. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast. If you like this podcast and think someone else could benefit, please share it. I'd also love for you to write a review on your favorite podcast platform like Spotify or Apple. And lastly, if you would like more of the same, come over to my website, hopethepa.com. Thank y'all for listening.